So we have been looking at this new series, now into its third week, stuck in the same story. And we've already looked at a, a couple aspects of this, and that is the childlike sense of wonder about God and, and how I shared my own story with that and, and, and let that kind of be a, a, a foundational grounding desire in all of our hearts to go back to that place as a child. Like Jesus says, we must come to him with the faith of a child. And any changes that we want to bring about in our lives kind of have to start from there. And last week we looked at our first steps. What was your first step toward Jesus? We looked at um, several scripture passages of, of different ways that people came to Jesus. And there wasn't one particular avenue or one particular thing that had to happen. Uh, in other words, God is ready to work with us the way we are for who we are. It's simply a matter of coming with a heart's desire to know God. Today, identifying the roots of struggle. If we are going to change the things in our lives that need to be changed, especially the things that we are struggling with and perhaps have struggled with for a long, long time, we have to have the courage to look back at, at the roots of that. And so what we're going to see here this morning is the struggles we face can be traced back, I believe, to three things. Doubt fear, and hate. Now think about all that those three words encompass. Think about the ways and the ramifications of choices that you've made in doubt, in fear, and hate, or that other people you are in connection with in your life, in relationship to, have made choices of doubt and fear and hate that have impacted you through no fault of your own. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think we all have a combination of that. There are the choices that we've made, that we are responsible for, that we have to look ourselves in the mirror and say, you know, that was my fault. Yep, I did that, that's on me. But then there's other things that came to us. Ways that, that, that people hurt us, things that happened, things that were said, things that were done that are also part of who we are. And doubt, fear, and hate are always involved in some manner in all of those things. So to identify those roots now, let's look specifically at, first of all, doubt. In today's text in 1 John chapter 4, we see the assurance of salvation in what John's writing about here when he says this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we've seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that he has for us. Doubt tells us that God doesn't love you. Doubt tells us that you have to work for your love from God. Doubt tells us that, are you really sure about this God thing at all? Doubt tells us that there is no God. And, and 
other combinations of those and other doubt-producing ideas that enter our minds. So how do we defeat those doubts when they strike? How, how do we overcome them? James warns us about doubt in relation to asking God specifically for wisdom, but I think it applies to, to other aspects of life as well. In James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, he writes this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So that's where you end up when you follow the path of doubt. You end up double-minded. You end up act, acting this way one day and the next day completely the opposite or, or the next minute completely the opposite. You're, you're double-minded because you're unstable. You're unsure. And, and so if you are indecisive and you are double-minded at times, going back to 1 John 4, acknowledge and rely on God's love. Please notice that in the middle of the word acknowledge is the word know. So we acknowledge his love. It, it, is, a, it is a knowing that, that, that God is indeed there to erase those doubts, that, that, that God does indeed um, exist. In the beginning, God, the first four words of the Bible... It is a statement to us that God is, that God is the beginning. In Colossians chapter 1, fulfilling that passage from Genesis even further, it identifies Christ, the Christ, as the creator, the eternal. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Certainly there are many skeptics in our world who want to dismiss belief in God of any kind. They want to have a strictly rational approach to life, to existence, and simply, if I can't understand it and explain it, it doesn't happen. But the obvious question that is still unanswered when one takes that mentality about life and existence is this, how did it begin? How did anything begin? Well, there was a big bang, and life came from that big bang. All right, where did the bang come from? Where did the, how did it start? What was there? And, and it's nothing wrong with looking deeper and deeper into the understandings of life and existence and the cosmos and the universe. It's wonderful. It's awesome. It's scary. It's so big. But if you don't have a starting point of some kind, you're still back to square one. So if you're one who doubts a lot, if, if, if part of your struggle is doubt, doubt in life, does it trace back to doubt about God? And, and, and this is where I come back to. You know, I can't explain so many of the mysteries and, and, and the things about God that, that are hard to explain, that, that don't have a rational um, answer that I can give you. But what I can tell you is 
if my choice is to believe in Genesis 1, in the beginning God, and in the beginning nothing, I'm going with God. So I trace it back. I, I follow the roots all the way back to that place, and then I'm able to build on that from there. Okay, so if I believe that God is, then what is God? Who is God? How is God? All those kind of questions. I, I begin to ponder, and, and, and I go to the scriptures to find that. And I can see more and more. And then the doubts start to step aside. The doubts start to evaporate when I embrace the one who is indeed the beginning, our beginning, your beginning, my beginning, the beginning of all things, as it says in Colossians 1. Secondly, you know what? Go ahead, hit that, Dan. About fear. Five years ago, this fall, I was doing what you're invited to do next Sunday. I was walking on the little mountain besides Twin Pines Camp. And I wasn't with a group, I was by myself. And I had a particular reason for taking that walk that day. I was with a, a group of pastors for a retreat, a midweek retreat in October. And um, I remember that day for... Two reasons. One, what I'm about to explain to you. And two, it was the day that I became a grandfather. So um, I had just received word that um, Rebecca might be going into labor. They're going to take her to the hospital. But you know how those things are. Sometimes it wasn't ready and she might have to go home. But I was like, okay, I'm just, you know, if now's the time, great, and I'm going to pray for her. But that honestly wasn't the first thing on my mind. I was afraid. And some of the fears that I had trace back to what I shared a few weeks ago about um, sort of the fire and brimstone kind of uh, invasion into my heart and mind that has, has influenced my life so heavily and not in a good way. And so once again, for reasons I won't explain now, that fear was there. So I went out on the hike and I said, Lord, let's have it out right now. I want to get rid of this fear. I want to, to, to come to you in love. I want to believe in you based on love. Not because I'm afraid of what you may or may not do if I don't love you or if I fall, if I fail, if I sin. I want to, to walk with you, Lord, knowing that you love me. And I'm going to love you back and, and erase all the fears as best as I possibly can. God, help me to get there. So as I'm walking, I was, uh, if you're familiar with the, the landscape of Twin Pines Camp, um, there is what's called the shale pit, which was a shale mine many years ago that has now thankfully grown back. But there's still some bare spots, especially at the bottom, where there, there was mine for shale. And I was walking in that region, and I looked up, and there's birds flying by. And they were, they were beautiful, and some of them were hawks, and I love watching hawks. And like hearing their noise, and, and um, the the... the what do you call it, a hawk call or a call, or whatever that is. <laughs> um, and and they're, they're beautiful birds. They're powerful birds. And so I was watching them soar. And then I went back up into the woods and hiked a little bit further, and I'm praying, I'm asking God. And, and I wasn't demanding that God give me an answer, give me what I want, but, you know, something just short of that maybe. And um, so I ended up at the gazebo that Joe mentioned a moment ago, that we'll certainly take a look at next week if you'd like. 
And it's a, it's a beautiful situa uh, situated in a beautiful spot where it overlooks base camp. And so I paused there. And I was ready to come down the mountain. I'm saying, okay, Lord, if, if I don't get any direction today, that's okay. I love you and I trust you. And this time of prayer was still worthwhile. So I sat there for a few moments. And then in front of me, probably from about me to that banner on the wall right there, 20 feet, 25 feet, there's a hawk on a branch who I didn't see. And as I stopped praying, that hawk went like that. Thank you, God. That's what I needed. That hawk releasing was God's way of revealing to me, showing to me, speaking to me, whatever you want to call it, I know what it meant to me, was that I can be set free of my fears. And I watched that hawk as it took off and those big strong wings and then it sailed down and toward the valley. And I watched it as long as I could as it catches the, the, the updraft of the wind and rises and dives. It was a beautiful moment that I'm never going to forget because God released me of my fear. And, and I mean that five years ago. And, and the fact that my granddaughter was born that same day is no coincidence either. It's like something was born new in me that day. And my granddaughter happened to be born too. And I said, okay, God, I get it. That's two signs. <laughs> How about you? Do you have fears? What are the roots of your fear? Back to, to 1 John chapter 4. In the middle of the 16th verse, it says this well-known three words, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. That word perfect can kind of set us off a little bit or make us pause. Well, I don't know if I can be perfect. How can I love perfectly? Well, I think a better word is mature. And, and mature is something you kind of never stop doing. You, you continue to mature as you grow older. And hopefully you do. Uh, I think we all know some people that you're not sure about, but um, think of love that way. Love is, is a continually maturing aspect of our life that we can embrace, we can live, we can walk in, and we can draw a deeper life from. So that's what perfect love means. And the question is, as it says in those verses, fear has to do with punishment. Are you afraid that God will punish you? Ask yourself that question. Is that the root of your fear? That somehow, yeah, I know Jesus loves me. He died for me on the cross. If I believe that in faith, then he has forgiven me, and I am his child, and I'm going to to endeavor to live my life to honor him. I hope that's how you all feel. And I hope that's your desire each day. But what about when you mess up? What about when you fail to love? What about when you choose fear? What about when you choose doubt? What about when you, you, you choose ways that you know are against the ways of God and are even against your own best interest and you know that but you still do it? Are you afraid 
that God has removed his love from you? Are you afraid that your promise of heaven is now, is now in question, in doubt, because of the thing you did or said? No matter how egregious it may or may not be, fear can tell us that you're no good. Fear can tell us that you're not forgiven anymore. Fear can tell us that you got to do it all over again. As I shared my story a couple of weeks ago, again, I, I would go back to the altar again and again because I was afraid. I was afraid that God didn't love me anymore. I was afraid that because of, of the sin I was dealing with as a boy, as a, as a teen, as a young man even, that somehow if I didn't go back to God and re-ask Him into my heart to rededicate, then my eternal destiny was in question and balance. I didn't want that. And it wasn't so much a, a humbling moment where I felt genuine sorrow for what I did and came to God and said, Lord, I'm so sorry, and I, I want to do better. Help me to get there. That wasn't it. It was, I better do this right or I'm doomed. That's not an act of love. That is an act of fear. And, and only you can answer that if, if, if it's more fear than love that drives you. So, so the, the fear of the Lord is an important thing. We recognize the, the awesome power and the, the eternal existence and power that, that God indeed has. But he makes it so clear that he comes to us in love. What is God like? Simple answer to a simple, important question. Look at Jesus. What is God like? Look at Jesus. Know your Gospels. Read your Gospels. How did Jesus act and think and respond? How did he deal with people? How did he deal with relationships? How did he deal with sin? If you want to know what God is like, look to him. And what you see in Jesus, what you see in the Christ, is love again and again and again. John chapter 14 <clears throat> Jesus says this at the 27th verse. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Read that again. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You know what that tells us? It's up to you. In other words, you have a choice. There's a choice involved. My heart can easily be troubled by a lot. If we turn on the news for 30 seconds, <laughs> there's 30 reasons to get the heart troubled. <laughs> if we go there, we don't have to go there. And, and since I use that as one example of, of troubles, um, what, what I'm trying to do more and more is not watch the news. I mean, I, I, I want to know what's happening in the world. I, I think I need to know, but... There, there's, there's a balance there that very quickly gets out, out of balance if, if I keep going in that direction and the, and the troubles can trouble me. And, and you've had that feeling too, right? There, there's, have you ever had a day where you just don't feel right and you can't identify it and it just, it just feels everything's wrong, you're not even sure what it is? Well, usually when I kind of trace the steps backward, it's that I've just been filling my mind with troubles, whether it's from the news or, or other people or the things of life, and, and I'm not praying along the way. That's a thing. And when I go back in prayer and just start to empty it out, I had that yesterday morning on my way driving over to 
the funeral home for, for John's service. I was troubled. I was troubled by another funeral. I was troubled by um, some things in my life other than that. I was troubled by a lot of challenges. I was, there was troubles. And, and, I, and halfway there, I just realized, Lord, I am so filled with trouble. And take it. <laughs> that was about my prayer. Because I wasn't even sure about how I was going to do that service yesterday, to be honest with you. But God blessed me and helped me because I let go of the troubles. And then Jesus also says, to finish that verse, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Every time an angel came to someone in Scripture, what's the first thing the angel says? Do not be afraid. Because God is not about fear. God is not about He's the powerful one in heaven. You're just this little minion on earth. You better fear me or else. That is not the God of Scripture. That is not the God that we see in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear that he's going to punish us. So what's the solution to become like Jesus? To see Jesus as the pattern toward God, as the pattern of the way of God. And, and to, to prayerfully take his steps. And, and if you're not sure what Jesus is like or where to begin to understand that and, and in, in practical ways, go to Matthew 5 and start reading the Sermon on the Mount. Three chapters long, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. What is God like? Right there. starts out with the Beatitudes. That's what God is like. He loves peace and he... He loves mercy and he loves meekness and, and the simple ways. And, and, not, and Jesus doesn't just say that. He demonstrates that again and again and again in scriptures. And then thirdly, how about the roots of hate? Back to 1 John in the fourth chapter. <clears throat> we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This same book, the book of 1 John, repeats that theme several times. Chapter 2, verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Chapter 3, verses <clears throat> verse 15. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in them. Jesus equates hate and murder. Murder rarely happens without hate being involved as kind of the starting point of the thing that led to it. So these reminders of how you can't say you love God and claim to love God and wear Jesus on your sleeve or around your neck or on a t-shirt or on a bumper sticker or whatever else it might be, how people choose to 
project an image of following Christ, but then deny him with hatred. We simply can't go there. God does not hate people. And he does not hate you. It's what we are capable of that he hates. The writer of the Proverbs gives us an example of what God hates very specifically in Proverbs chapter 6. And again, these are not individuals. These are things that individuals are capable of doing. That includes me. The capability of these things is in me. And certainly some of them I have been guilty of, and I know that. Proverbs 6, beginning at 16, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. You know, the first few are kind of obvious, I think. And of course, we're not supposed to lie and have eyes that are get, get kind of, I don't know what that means, haughty. I mean, I think you do haughty eyes, like just. When you look in, in a person's eyes, sometimes you, you get a sense about them without them saying a word. Is that true? Have you seen that? And, and, and that's positive and negative. There are people who light up the room when they walk into it without saying a word. And everyone's glad to see them, and they project that with their eyes. And there are people who walk into that same room that it's almost like the lights go out. And darkness comes in. I think that's what haughty eyes are, the darkness. Lies and, and shedding innocent blood and wicked schemes and rushing into evil and false witness and stirs up conflict in the community. Ooh, a church is a community. People that stir up conflict in a community, in a church community, are in the same category as the lying tongue, the shedding of innocent blood, and devising wicked schemes. That's what God hates, the things that we are capable of, and, and all of us need to be honest with ourselves. At least some of those I think we've all done or thought about doing or contemplated in our lives. And God hates that, but he doesn't hate you. That's why he sent Jesus, he forgave you. And he wants to, to help bring change in your life so you don't go there again because it's not good for you, it's not good for your family, it's not good for your community. And the way of love eliminates all of that. Is there hate for people in you? So I made it pretty clear that God doesn't hate you, God doesn't hate people. He hates the things that people are capable of and the things that sadly people do quite often every day, every minute. And yet he still loves that person. That's really hard. Let's be honest. It is very hard to love a person that is blatantly against the ways of God, who, who hates you for whatever reason, and still choose to love that person. The only way you can manage to love that person is to be like Jesus in the sense of 
seeing them through the eyes of Christ, seeing them as a person. And so often that when, when I have been tempted to hate a person and have walked over that line and you know, began to let that hate sink into my heart for him or her, whatever it was, when I either remember their story and know kind of why they are that way. It doesn't excuse it. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter, but it helps you understand, okay, that's why he or she is that way, or at least in part. That, that's at least a step in the right direction to seeing them as a broken person and broken people break things, <laughs> and they break others, and they break themselves over and over. And sometimes they do it habitually, but if you are able to make the time to listen and understand them or in as much as they're even willing to, to share something with you, that helps you take a step toward love and, and to begin to release the hate. In the political arena, it's amazing how much hate is out there. And, and let's be honest, the vast majority of that hate is directed at people that we've never met. Right? If I say Donald Trump, how do you feel? If I say Joe Biden, how do you feel? Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton. How do you feel when you hear those names that, we, that are thrown before us every day, very often within the context of hate. And I mean, it, it, it's flat out blatant, no question about it, hate. I've never met any of them. Doesn't mean I like what they do or do or the politics they, they, they you know, have or that kind of thing, but why am I choosing to hate if I do? Why am I choosing to hate someone that I don't even know? Bring it back home. Bring it back to the people that you do deal with. Bring it back to the people that are in your home, live next door, you interact with in the community, you see every day at your job, you see at school. And the person that is hardest to get along with, the person that you kind of avoid, the person that you are at least tempted to hate, Ask God to help you see him or her through his eyes. And that can help you begin to overcome the hate and begin to see them with eyes of love. Doesn't mean they're going to become your best buddies next week. But it does mean you're going to treat them differently and it starts here and here. Because children of God do not hate people. Flat out. So we started with the three ways that struggle begins. Doubt, fear, and hate. Here's the three ways that we can overcome them. The way out, the way through, always includes these three promises taken from the closing line of that beautiful chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, and love when we apply faith and 
the, the faith through Christ, the hope he gives us and the love he's demonstrated and, and live in those realms, those three zones, that helps us to defeat the doubt, the fear, and the hate. Bless us, Lord God, with a fresh understanding of those words, faith, hope, and love. Help us to start there and then help us to courageously see and be honest with ourselves about the, the doubts, the fears, and even the hate that perhaps have impacted our lives and continue to impact our lives. If that's the roots of some of our struggles, Lord, then reveal it to us and show us what to do next. We ask this humbly in your name. Amen.